Hello, everybody. I'm J.D. Lopez, the host of Left Hand Right Brain. It's a free-flowing, wide-ranging conversation that I have with artists doing interesting and creative things here in Denver and beyond. We talk about their personal stories, break down their creative process, and what motivates them. Spoiler alert, it's mostly spite. We talk about all these things and more while kicking back, cracking wise, and always having a good time. You can find old episodes and everything you need to know at lefthandrightbrainpod.com. Attention listener, I have an assignment for you. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to engage with the real nerds, aka the best podcast on the internet. You can listen to their episodes on their website, realnerdspodcast.com. And you can also listen to them on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and iTunes. Follow their social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. This message will self-destruct never. Hi, this is Ed Kramer, CGI artist from Industrial Light and Magic. I worked on the scarabs from the mummy the rock monster from galaxy quest and you are listening to the real nerds podcast podcast unofficially the official podcast of denver pop culture con 2020 and beyond i am brad and i am the invisible man pretty sure i can see you don't and you're listening to another terrible episode of real nerds podcast because it's just me and zach no no but you see or zach and i brad and zach podcast can rule the world no no i can't nope motherfucker we are the lowest common denominator of podcasts oh and yet somehow I have a spinoff show. How the fuck did that happen? <laughs> I mean... I kind of just decided to, so... <laughs> yeah, I mean, you were sick of this show that you had to do your own thing. I'm tired of hearing about superheroes. That's how bad this show is. <laughs> its own hosts can't stand doing it. I'm just like, I can't... I can't. If I hear about how awesome Robert Downey Jr. is one more time... <laughs> Why can't we only talk about things in black and white? There's too much color in here. And it's like, look... I know I why get. Zach hates color so much. I... I, I Whoa. <laughs> Ouch. Movies of color. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Hashtag Technicolor never. <laughs> no, I do love Technicolor and VistaVision and CinemaScope and 3D and all those things. They're wonderful. No. Uh, but, Brad, well, we don't talk about the things I hate. We talk no. about the things we love. Uh, well, that depends. Uh, this week Uh-oh. we saw The Invisible Man. So we'll be, we'll be uh, giving our initial thoughts, and then we'll play the trailer, and then we'll go into depth and spoil it. Yes, we will... Uh, uh, try to see if we can uh, see our way towards a good review of this movie. Oh my god, I want to leave this episode myself. No, you don't. This, come this back is here. Be <laughs> invisibility puns. I'm out. Brad, come back here. Come back. Come back. Brad is gone. He has disappeared. He is invisible to me. Or am I? Oh, ho, 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 ho. he reappeared. It was awesome. He's gonna These knock are stuff all... off the table in front yeah. of you. <laughs> well, how did that happen? It must be a ghost. <laughs> no, but we will uh, discuss the movie. It'll be an interesting talk, Sue. But we also talk about other things on this show. Um, yeah. Not more visible things. Yeah, we uh, go around town with me. We talk about Blu-ray 4K releases. We talk about stuff we've been watching. 
Uh, Corinne has a catch in the classics for us this week. Awesome possum. Cannot wait to hear that one. Uh, and movie news. Yeah, cool. Or so, in industry news. Industry news. You know, stuff that happens in Holly weird. And it better be good, I swear to God. There's actually, well, there's a lot of shit happened this week. No oh, God. Um, but not like, I mean, it's, it's stuff that can be condensed. It's just like, it was pretty active. Like, we had more than one discussion on the text thread this t- today, so, or, or this week, so I think we'll have plenty to discuss. Uh, but Brad, before we discuss any of the uh, industry jargon, I want to know what's going around here. What's what's going around in Denver? In other words, what's going on around town? Hey, film buddies, follow me around Denver. This week, the midnight at the Esquire is the Fifth Element. Okay, not sure. I'll go to that one, but uh, I'm good. That March sixth and seventh. Yeah. That's that's the midnight for it, this week. It makes it easier to forget, like I I do every week. Um, but the following week, I've never seen the original Suspiria, so I'm gonna go check that one out. Hell yeah, let's go do it. Let's do it, man. Let's let's see another classic horror movie you'll hate. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's uh, it's too slow. <laughs> Nothing happens. <laughs> really? Nah, I mean, that was the original. Is this a good one for me to fall asleep in? No, no, no. Well. I think you'll enjoy it because it's got a lot of a. I vision. didn't enjoy Deep Red, so. <laughs> mm, okay, maybe you. I don't know. Like, it, it, I don't know. Did you see the remake at all? No. Okay, it might be a good comparison to watch this one first and then watch the remake. Um, I uh, they they run into similar territories, but um, Guadagnino's version is uh, decidedly a different uh, approach. So, mm-hmm. but anyway, yeah, I know they're doing some other cool stuff in the coming weeks. So. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what uh, see which ones I'll go to. Uh, I want them to start showing some more black and white movies again, though. Like, not to lay into my stereotype, but well, you can you can do the film for all seasons. That is true, and uh, they do a lot of Hitchcock stuff there too every year. So mm-hmm. I'll be curious to see what they do with it this year with their Hitch with a Twist. I know they got Being There, but that's in color. Uh, they're doing Doctor Strange Love, um, which I would love to see on a big screen, and uh, it's actually pretty pretty relevant movie today. So, uh, mm-hmm. um, and then they're also showing um, uh, Steamboat Bill Jun- Steamboat Junior. Uh, with uh, Buster Keaton, mm-hmm. so that'll be a fun one to watch, and it's a quick movie. So. But I didn't look those up, so I don't have any information for you. That's okay. We'll find out more as the as the days roll on. I mean, if you're industrious, uh, if you're an industrious listener, you can just go to the LandmarkTheaters.com website, yeah, look or, up the Denver Film Market, and it'll tell you yourself. Yeah, you go. The, also, I found out the the their ticketing app is Adam, um, and they actually listed out pretty well, and they showed the advance. Uh, pre-sale stuff in a pretty easy to locate fashion because landmark doesn't have its own app for whatever it does i just looked at it they have their own app yeah weird do they sell tickets through it yeah weird so then why why do they keep directing me to adam that's fucking weird i don't know oh wait all right i i I mean i'm an idiot so yeah you know (laughs) no do better research idiot okay sorry i will um if you really cared about landmark theaters you would know to just get their own app you know what? Like when, me. We, when they redo their seats in the Greenwood Village, we'll talk. Why would they redo the seats in the Greenwood Village? Because some of them are stripping of the fake leather and just nasty. <laughs> God, that theater's only like a decade old. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, guess it makes sense. Feels like they should retouch that up at some point, though. It is in a high-end district, so. Yeah. But whatever. Still nice inside. I mean, I'll go see a movie there. Free popcorn. I mean, I don't like the popcorn there, but it's fine. 
you know, if it's free. I mean, it's included in your ticket. Yeah. I'm not going to complain. Yeah, exactly. And even the tickets, maybe two or three dollars more, that's still a ton of savings for popcorn. Yeah. Sometimes I do go for that VIP seat too, because it is kind of comfy, uh, even though it doesn't recline. That's the only disadvantage is they don't have a recline, but Alamo doesn't either. So, you know, what I'll pay a lot for is uh, like a isolation chamber version of seats so to hear people. Uh, it's basically, <laughs> your room. Is what you want. I will pay to watch theatrical run movies in my room. Yes. Yes, exactly. So just bring that kind of four the the Christie four K projector into Brad's house. Regal and... needs to walk a leather seat, <laughs> so Atmos surround sound system, and a two hundred inch screen into my room. Yeah, Regal, make it happen. He's paying you monthly. You owe them. You owe him that much. Yeah. Heck, they owe me an IMAX theater at this point, but I haven't seen a dime. So. <laughs> uh, Anyway, cool. Um, yeah, I think that's it. That's all that's going on around town. What else? I mean, there's EF Palooza coming up in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, March uh, 19th, 20th, and 21st. Yeah. 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 Uh, there's that. Um, I'm going to announce the Fail Film Festival this week, so that's pretty cool. Ooh, nice. Um, but maybe I'll just save that for another episode. Okay. Beautiful. But look out for that. Okay. Sweet. For all you first-time failures at film. Um, do you want to just do a retrospective on me get it over with yeah uh we'll do we'll dedicate a whole block to your filmography (laughs) and then i come out and do one of those q and a's i'll just come out like dressed like orson welles in his later years super fat (laughs) (laughs) grandma's frozen peas they they wouldn't give me the money they wouldn't give me the money you know i did radio (laughs) (laughs) um yeah, and then uh, I was I totally distracting me. What I was gonna say. Well, you did unveil a uh, design for our glass that's oh, coming yeah. up at Denver Pop Culture Con. You had to do a redesign, unfortunately. Yeah, uh, printing uh, is not as advanced as I thought it would be. Yeah, uh, for glasses in 2020. So yeah, um, I had compromise, and it's about half of an ooze canister design. But but it if is you pretend new- it's broken in half, then uh, it is a ooze canister design. It's yeah. pretty fucking sweet. Uh, it does have a gash in the side, which is pretty cool. So, um, but I mean, when you fill it to the top, it's not gonna. It should have an actual opening in the side of the glass, so <laughs> that it just spills out. Like, oops! People just cut themselves on it. Oops! I'm a turtle now. Oh, also, I'm bleeding. <laughs> so hopefully, yeah. Well, um, those will be uh, coming soon. I hope. I'm really excited. Uh, and then we're working on some panels for Denver Comic Con. Yeah, uh, we've got Pop a Culture f- Con. Pop Culture Con. Yeah, there's a fun idea that uh, was bandied about after the recording last week. Yeah, uh, which I think would be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie, it would. I'm sure it would give you an immense amount of joy. <laughs> it's a it's a big fun year for people like me who love the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles first mm-hmm. movie. Yeah, and um, yeah, so we'll be exploiting the hell out of that. My absentee father, Kevin Eastman, will be uh, coming down to sign stuff and ignoring my uh, calls for uh, father son time once again. So yeah, well, I mean, you've disappointed him by being you. So <laughs> yeah, that is true. I, I wonder if Peter him. Laird would take me as his son. Hmm. Uh, I mean, he doesn't travel so you'd have to go to him mm, that is true i'd have to go out to him yeah okay. i'm not gonna do that well you're a bad son so yeah maybe kevin i'll was be right to disown maybe you. i can meet michael bay's son and then kevin eastman can hate us both together <laughs> yeah but then like you're all you're constantly moving <laughs> yeah constantly moving constantly dodging explosions that's gonna be rough on yeah me. yeah i mean I'm, I'm i'm getting in shape now but i'm not 
I'm not crazy enough to run away from explosions at this point. Like, do you really want to see yourself in a low angle all the time? No, and I certainly don't want my new adoptive dad looking up my skirt, but, you know. Yeah, and you're going to just crick your neck, like, looking at helicopters flying over you all the time. Yeah, and he'll and he'll tell me, be more like Shia, and I'll just go, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you've never been a Transformers collector, so. No, I, I haven't. If anything, I've been actively disinterested in owning anything related to them, <laughs> so. Um, but, hey. He made Pain and Gain. Fun movie. Fun movie. Dark, but fun. <laughs> anyway, what should we move on to next, Brad? Uh, let's talk about Blu-ray 4K releases. Ooh, okay. Changing it up. DVD releases and Blu-rays. So, Brad, you need to clarify for me uh, something. Uh, so we've got a lot of uh, re-releases from Disney coming out for 4K releases. For the, f- I don't know if this is the first time or not, but we're getting Wally Up, Monsters Inc., A Bug's Life, and Monsters University. So are these the first times for 4K for them? Yep. Okay. So you can get those in the regular packaging, which are just the character designs and whatever. And then you have some cool steel books, and I love this Wally one. I think it's adorable. Yep. Uh, the Bugs Life one, that's okay. It's not my favorite of their movies. The Up one is awesome, and I want it, even though I have Up. And uh, the Monsters, Inc. one is adorable, too. So, yeah. There's probably Monsters University one in there, too, right? Yes, and that one's uh, Mike and Sully in their bunk bed, and then uh, the uh, uh, campus flag in the back. So, yeah. Looks like a lot of fun. Um, amongst other things that are coming out, uh, Titans, the complete second season. Brad, you never finished that shit, did you? I did not finish the first season. Okay, so if you want to... I'm not opposed to it. I just didn't... It wasn't interesting enough for me to like take advantage of while I had that free subscription. So Exactly. But hey, fuck Batman. <laughs> I still love that. <laughs> that, was just, that was just so impactful to people. It blew their minds. Uh, a movie you saw that I want to see, Dark Waters, is coming to Blu-ray. Um I'm very excited to see. I, I'm so pissed that I missed it at the theater. I should have gone out to it. Good um, thing there's home video. Yeah. And um, a big uh, release this week will be Queen and Slim coming out to 4K and Blu-ray uh, with Daniel Kaluuya. Um, and let's see. Kino Lobor Studio Classics is putting out the Sergio Leone Western Collection. Uh, so on Blu-ray, you can get their versions of A Fistful of Dollars, A Few Dollars More, The Good, Bad, and the Ugly. Once Upon a Time in the West, and Duck You Sucker, a.k.a. A Fistful of Dynamite. Five wonderful films. I highly recommend you check them out. Uh, if you are wondering what Quentin Tarantino gets inspired by, it's Sergio Leone, amongst other things. But Sergio Leone, definitely an influence. On Kino Lorber. Yes. Lorber. Kino, Lorber. Yes. Kino Lorber. 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 <laughs> just have one of those like things you insert in the edit. Lorber. <laughs> I'm going to like draw some like universal mon- or like um Toyo monster called Lobor. <laughs> he 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 eats new films to re- poop out the classics. <laughs> Run from the sight of Lobor. Lobor. <laughs> Lorber. <laughs> um and by the way the um I I it I don't it doesn't say in here, but I would imagine that the uh, the versions of A Fistful of Dollars, A Few Dollars More, and The Good, Bad, and the Ugly are indeed the restorations that they originally did for individual releases on those. So you will probably be getting those restorations, as well as, I'm assuming, some stuff for how the uh, Once Upon a Time in the West and uh, Fistful of Dynamite. Um, but yeah, and actually... Alamo Littleton is showing uh, a fistful of dollars uh, at some point this month, and that's something I'm I'm definitely gonna try to check out. Um, 
I still haven't seen his Clint's newest film, but I'll gladly go back to this old one. So, um, and let's see here. Um, Better be Lord, cool. Kino Lorber is also putting out an Alec Guinness uh, movie. Uh, it's a double feature called The Captain's Paradise and also Barnacle Bill. Uh, Alec Guinness movies I had no idea existed. So I'm assuming this is before George Lucas asked him to be a crazy space wizard in the desert. Um, so, yeah, go ahead and uh, peep those out. Arrow Academy is putting out Kansas City, a film from 1996, directed by Robert Altman. I've never seen it before. Not a, I, I'm a casual Altman guy. Do you like Altman at all? Or I've seen Shortcuts. Shortcuts and that's it? <laughs> I think so. Haven't seen MASH at all? Might like oh, MASH. and Popeye. Oh, Popeye. Yeah, I guess you have seen Popeye. Yeah, yeah no, I haven't seen MASH. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I always recommend A Prairie Home Companion, his last oh, movie. I've seen Gosford Park. Gosford Park? Okay, uh, cool. Right on. Um, but yeah, I don't think you've seen Nashville, obviously. But, yeah. You know. Yeah, you, you might check that out. I don't know. Uh, there's a 2019 movie from IFC called Radio Flash coming out. I've never heard of this. Um, look familiar at all for you based on the cover? No. Well, if you are interested in a blind buy, check out Radio Flash. Um, and that is pretty much it. Uh, just a lot of anime and uh, a lot of random stuff. Cool. So, yeah, that's Blu-rays. All right, let's take this shit show of an episode over to news. It's real news. So do we want to start with the big news, the big news, or some random news? Pick like three important things. <laughs> All right, why don't we start with the one that you, uh, that you, uh... I don't give a shit about trailers. No. Well, we are going to talk about a trailer, because I like it. Um, oh. But we'll start with the, we'll start with the, uh, I guess the biggest news directly within our nerd sphere, which is Steven Spielberg's no longer directing Indiana Jones 5. Uh, that is a big one. Yeah. Um, James Mangold is in discussions to take over. Uh, James Mangold, obviously director of Logan and Ford v. Ferrari. Um, and yeah, um, there, the Spielberg is going to remain as a hands-on producer. Um, uh, and his decision to leave was labeled as such to pass on the torch of Indy to a new generation even though Harrison Ford will be in this one and he's still going to be producing. So yeah. I'm wondering uh, really strange, uh, turn of events. Um, and keep in mind, they've been working on this for a couple of years now to get this up and running. Yeah. No offense to Harrison Ford, but I mean, you know, you watch, uh, the making of the other four movies, mm -hmm. really the other three, cause George Lucas didn't have a lot of, input into crystal skull mm -hmm. um or did i <laughs> but they made the sequels of that because those three guys liked working together yeah um and so now that it's just harrison ford I, it's kind of baffling like why he would want to return to it without either of those two well i mean spielberg is producing george lucas is doing his thing I mean, yeah he's sitting back going like they all they all wanted me gone and now they realize they want me back so but it's like part of doing this is sort of like a redemption tour for Crystal Skull, even though it's a fine movie. But yeah, it's fine. I mean um, that that movie we we give it a lot. We gave it a lot of shit when it came out, but if you watch yeah. it in hindsight, it's perfectly fine. But just escaping this that stigma, um, you know, without Spielberg, Spielberg directing it, it, just kind of feels like this is like they might as well just reboot entirely. Yeah, I'm I'm in that camp too, and especially if if Spielberg's not allowed to have the or isn't going to have the final word on 
what Indiana Jones is as a legacy before they try to reboot it or carry it on in the in a Bond esque fashion or something. I, I I would love to still have his voice in there. Yeah. Like as much shit as Crystal Skull gets, I still like what he has to say in the movie. It's just and also, what does that say about like the idea they have for the fifth one? Like, yeah, if um, if Spielberg's not like so compelled to do it, it can't be that interesting. Well, so ke- we have to keep in mind a little bit is that in Crystal Skull they kind of already do Old Man Indy, but I know I talked to you about it. Is if they're getting Mangold, they might pull a Logan on it, where maybe they kind of give him a uh, a, a bitter, resentful send off. <laughs> I mean, that makes sense, but also. He was already old in Crystal Skull, and now he's exactly more than ten years older. <laughs> so it's just like, what what else are we going to say about that? Yeah. And I mean, it's highly unlikely you're getting Shia LaBeouf back to play Mutt. So yeah, I don't think anyone wants that. Mm-hmm. But also, like part, I think part of the like obnoxious green screen work in Crystal Skull is because you can't have Harrison Ford running around doing action stuff. Yeah. So that's like to supplement him, and maybe it'll be a quiet human drama. I mean, we, we all just want to see him in a non CGI world. So yeah, I don't, I don't, I just feel like you should just start over and distance yourself as like just a new Disney branded yeah. Indiana Jones. Exactly. Speaking of Disney and its brand, uh, Bob Iger has stepped down as CEO. That was surprising too. Yeah. Although he had said he was going to be stepping down within the realm of 2021, but this is an early departure. Uh, Bob Chapek will be, uh, assuming the mantle, and uh, Iger is staying on for the next uh, year or so to basically supervise the transition. Uh, so everybody answers to Chopek, and Chopek answers to Iger in the in the interim. Which um, I think I'm actually impressed because I wish more obscenely wealthy people would step aside. You know, <laughs> in, in favor of more obscenely wealthy people, <laughs> like you, you ushered Marvel and Star Wars and tons of great Pixar stuff into existence. And like, killed the history of a hundred year studio, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. And, and completely <laughs> destroyed a rival studio. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. That's, that's the thing you did. Um, uh, I, I, like, yeah. What else, what else do you really feel like you need to do? I guess. Yeah. I guess it is time for him to just, you know, pack it up and move on. Uh, Chopek had been running a lot of stuff for the Disney parks at this point. So now he'll be stepping into the game. Uh, it's interesting because Iger, Iger's been with the company for 15 years and really helped take them out of the slump they were in, uh, in a, um, uh, where the pirates movies are starting to kick in, but they're not going to be the sustainable area. And then, you know, Iger kind of spearheads a lot of stuff that like the Marvel acquisition and the Star Wars acquisition. So, Clearly, you know, this is a guy who changed the industry immensely. So it's it's a wonder what Chopek's going to be able to do to top that at all. Um, um, I mean, I frankly could care less because it's a big company just changing its boss. So <laughs> Yeah. But also, like, okay, so his legacy is really he just bought already successful things that other people did. And basically, well, like that's his idea. I think part of it is also, you, you know, you... you he managed to create a factory out of Marvel in a way that we don't know if it would have happened the same way and under the same circumstances. Well, he put someone in charge that. Yeah. You mean Chinos? Did that. Huh? <laughs> you mean Chinos, Kevin Feige? That's his character on the Simpsons episode. Oh, he's do. He's called Chinos. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, he did that. And I mean, like the Star Wars acquisition is something that no one ever expected to happen. If, in the world of business, it's a big deal. 
in the world of movies, it's kind of like, okay, a company bought another company. Neat way. I think the biggest dis, uh, the biggest choice that he made, hands down, that does impact us is the acquisition of Fox. I think that the one that happened within the last five years is the one that has is going to have the most interesting impact on the industry because of just, you know, we didn't do an episode on Call of the Wild, but that's the first movie to come out with the 20th Century logo. I mean, what's the point of just the why does just change the company name entirely at that point? This, yeah, it's <laughs> just a, feels been, weird. A Disney movie, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, but yeah, so we'll see how uh, the business world of Disney uh, carries on for the next couple of years, and who knows? Maybe it'll tank, and Warner Brothers will rise again. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, Creed three is going to get, uh, put into production. They got a new writer, uh, coming on board. Uh, Zach Balin, uh, who wrote the script for King Richard. I'm excited for a Creed three, um, mm. provided that a certain individual decides to just step aside or go the way of Mickey. But yeah, I would be more interested in that franchise if, yeah, if, uh, Rocky wasn't as like, I, I, that was my main draw for the first two, but I, I feel like by your third film, you need to like walk on your own feet. Yeah. Exactly. So, but but I gotta keep doing things in there. I mean, my, my Rocky story's not over. Mm. What happens when he has to go to the home? I mean, he has to start boxing fights in the home. <laughs> Rocky has to fight his way to the cafeteria. <laughs> stay stay upright on his walker. Oh my god, <laughs> that could be where he runs into um uh uh Mister T's character again. What was his name? Uh, Clubber Lang, right? Clubber Lang. Yeah. yeah, Clubber Lang in the in the home. Oh my god, can you imagine the kind of fight they'd have? A pity the fool who tries to take my pills. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, uh, there's another little bit of Disney news. Uh, the Simpsons have a short film that's going to be playing in front of Pixar, Pixar's Onward, um, and it's uh, another Maggie short. They've done this before, but this is the first one that's now under the Disney logo, and it's not like in front of a Ice Age movie or whatever you want to put it as. So, interesting. I wonder if uh, now that they're with Disney, uh, a Simpsons movie sequel is more possible. Depends. Depends on. I guess it really comes down to Brooks and Graining and Brooks and Graining. Yeah, I mean Simon's no longer alive. Yeah, um, and I think also it'll have to do with the cast. Um, and, you know, and a lot of changes have been happening to The Simpsons over the past couple of years. Um, what with the, some of the voice cast, but also just you know they almost lost Harry Shearer at a certain point, but then he came. But then yeah. he, you know signed back on. It was hard enough to get that one, but yeah, it would be, be cool if they went back to like the creative team from. Seasons three, four, and five, like get Conan O'Brien in there. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, apparently he wanted to be involved in the writing of the first one, but just couldn't because of he, the t- he was way busier back then for sure. Yeah, now he's in a situation where he could easily sit down and do it. I mean, it, as long as you can get Schwartzwelder in that room, I'm all for that. Uh, Schwartz, Schwartzwelder, yeah. Schwartzwelder wrote some of the best episodes of that he did. show. Uh, the, but he's a recluse, so <laughs> you've heard the commentary for the um uh, the Cartridge Family, right? Where there it's the gun episode. And they they say they finally break down and they try to call John Schwartzwelder on his phone. Mm-hmm. Somebody answers the phone and says they're cooking a steak, and they assume it's John. And at the end of the conversation, the person on the other end says, "Too bad this isn't actually John Schwartzwelder." And then he hangs up, <laughs> <laughs> and they just leave it a mystery forever because he just doesn't do shit. Uh, he's written some great novels though that you should definitely check out. Some kind of sci-fi detective novels, like The Time Machine Made Me Do It. Um, Day of the Dead's getting a TV series on sci-fi, and normally this would be whatever news, but I like Day of the Dead. I want to see if they can do that kind of zombie with the military kind of story. I know, but TV zombies, like... 
it depends on how they do those effects. I don't want I don't want anything CG for from coming from sci-fi, and that's usually their bag. So it feels played out. I mean, Daybreak on Netflix didn't take so. Um, Daybreak, what's that? Exactly. Okay. Um, <laughs> Ryan never told me about it, so I have to. Um, it was a big news a few, a few weeks. It's cancellation. Um, but yeah, what else? There's like some other zombie thing I think on FX or something. Um. Yeah. Maybe but, HBO. But Day of the Dead. like, I think Walking Dead has like that market cornered and it's like a. And they've got. People still excited about zombie th- stuff? I get. Yeah. I mean, it's going to play itself out a little bit. I think that it, it might be going out the door. But like sometimes everybody, every so often somebody has a way to kickstart that genre up again. again it's never going to die just like its characters itself. Yeah. So. Uh, only two more pieces of news. Mission Impossible 7 stopped production due to coronavirus. We found the one thing that could stop Tom Cruise. <laughs> He couldn't outrun it. Couldn't couldn't outrun a virus. Um, it seems like he is outrunning it because he doesn't have it. He's <laughs> avoiding it. Yeah, exactly. Well, he's okay. the fastest man alive. But it, but at what cost? The production of the film itself. He ran away. Maybe the movie isn't a movie. It's a real like Mission Impossible seven and eight yeah. are actually like a uh, like a real world art thing where. Mm an actual supervillain has released coronavirus on the world and Tom and Cruise, Cruise is, is actually trying to save us. So, so that's why we have to, we have to live in a little bit of fear for a couple of weeks is so that Tom Cruise can alleviate that yep. fear. Oh, okay. So this is all big, one big art house. Prank. He's currently like, uh, driving, avoiding mercenaries on a, a stretch of road from Prague to <laughs> Spain. Um, and once he gets to Spain, he'll be able to meet up with the, <laughs> The, the scientist who can synthesize the antidote. He runs away from a germ cloud. <laughs> yeah. I would love to see that. Uh, the official statement is out of abundance of caution for the safety and well-being Germans. of our Germans. <laughs> Everybody's after him with the virus. They're just coughing. <laughs> the Germans. People, a bunch of people who didn't wash their hands. That's what it is. Oh, because he'd had that fight in the bathroom in the last movie. Exactly. And he didn't wash his hands. This is Henry techni- Cavill didn't wash his hands. Exactly. Fucking Superman. It all comes together. <laughs> that's what he's, he's tried to shake off his hands in the bathroom. Exactly, and that's what spread the virus. And, yeah. So it's kind of like a Mission Impossible contagion colliding, you know, story there. MI7 contagion. Steven Ghost so- contagion. Can Steven Soderbergh come in and like guest direct a shot? <laughs> I don't know what it would be. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's just like after after uh, the the Venetian government, they're shooting in Venice. Mission Possible Eight vaccination. <laughs> oh, instead of what was it? Nation. Uh, Rogue Nation. Rogue Nation. Rogue Nation. Vaccination. Vaccination. <laughs> <laughs> the poster is Tom Cruise, kind of looking like Doctor Mario, has <laughs> a big pill in his hand. <laughs> He's the Dr. Mario mask and he pulls it off and it's Tom Cruise. <laughs> Mom, mummy. <laughs> There's a, that's a spicy virus. Um, he does a halo jump out of a bomber. He's like, Whoa! <laughs> he rides on Yoshi at the end. It's it's how do we get Mario Brothers into this? I I don't know, but I mean, well, the Doctor Mario is kind of like a lead in, but then we can just somehow just sneak in all the characters. You have to fight Bowser at the end, essentially, or the the Boo Ghost, or you know, I, I don't know, uh, Kirby. <laughs> just put, throw Kirby in there. Why the fuck not? Um, I'm gonna start writing the script for Mission Impossible 
germ protocol and Mission Impossible vaccination. He has to fight Birdo because Birdo's a fun villain. He just shoots eggs out of her mouth. Bow. <laughs> Bow. <laughs> Easily avoidable. <laughs> Bow. You can just see Tom Cruise just jumping over him like ding. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, the, they're going to have a hiatus. It doesn't say when they're going to resume everything, but um, yeah, here's hoping everybody on that crew is okay. And last but not least, Candyman. 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 We got a trailer for Candyman. How many times was that? Uh, five. I couldn't count because I was rolling my eyes. I believe it was five. If it was four, then I saved myself. Yeah, there's a mirror right behind you, right? I know, but I didn't look into it, so Tony Todd's not going to come out and kill me. Yeah, there's a mirror right here, too, and it's reflecting that mirror, so... But I'm not looking into it. The person who's saying it has to Did look... Did you know that your soul's a mirror? So, you're dead. We got a trailer for Candyman. He's in here? <laughs> What's going on? Be my victim, Brad, you bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, Nia DaCosta's uh, uh, reboot slash sequel to Candyman, which is uh, being co-written and produced by Jordan Peele. Um, Tony Todd's back in as the Candyman. Um, oh, really? Yeah, he is. I didn't get that from the trailer at all. Yeah, they're just not showing him. He, he's there. You're, I'm hearing his voice. It's That's Tony Todd. That's cool. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, it looks like it's going to be a hell of a lot of fun to see that character kind of brought out into a more modern context. And uh, it seems like it's going to be a direct sequel to the first Candyman. So my deal. Yeah, because with... that one character is also in there. Oh, I don't. Um, what's her name? Oh, um, God damn it! It's fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to. It's yeah. I need fans to... know. Yeah, I mean, I like Candyman, but I'm not like non-fans a Candyman. don't care. Yeah, I'm not a like Candyman obsessive. Um, even though I can. But visually, it looks gorgeous. Like oh, it yeah. looks like a art film. Yeah, which so. I mean, yeah, and it was. It was interesting. A lot. It seemed like a lot of people. Apparently, people were thinking this was Jordan Peele's next directorial movie, and had to be clarified. Nia DaCosta's producer. Candy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Jordan Peele's the producer. So, um, it's actually interesting. The since the trailer came out, there were articles saying like the first three are available to uh, on all streaming services right now. So the originals on Netflix and um, uh, uh, Farewell to the Flesh and uh, the third one are available on uh, on Prime. So you can check them all out and kind of go one by one. I have the original Candyman on a Scream Factory edition, which is a beautiful transfer. Um, and I kind of like I, I, it seems like the score is not going to be the the same uh, version of the Philip Glass score, but they are keeping that. They're keeping the, the, the music itself. It's just that the, the way it's produced is different. So yeah, I'm not married to the first one. So change yeah. it up all you want. Hey, maybe you'll be more open to it. And also maybe you, since it's, you don't oh you don't have Prime, you can't check out uh, Bill Condon's uh, sequel. So. Uh, might be a fun one for you to watch. It's a pretty fun flick. Um, and anyway, that's news. Unless I missed anything that you want to bring up. No, I think we we did plenty of news. Yeah, cool. Yeah, more than we have in the past couple of weeks. <laughs> um, no, shorter shows are better. Yeah, especially when it's a shit show like us too. Oh yeah. Um, what's what have you been watching, Zach? So uh, yeah, this is the stuff we've been watching. Um, not a whole lot. Um, I've been watching more Futurama, uh, and just the, the, Ryan is absolutely correct. You know, the consistency of that show is incredible by comparison to the Simpsons. And, uh, what I love about it is that it manages to tell meaningful sci-fi stories while having the irreverent sense of humor, which I think is, it seems like that's very difficult to pull off in a writer's room. I could, I, I have to imagine that writing a Futurama script is 10 times harder than writing a Simpsons script if I was going to take a wild stab in the dark on that. Um, 
it, and it's it's intricate. I like looking at these episodes as many times as I do because then I start catching the end gags. Uh, there's a lot of math jokes that are just in the background written on things that are actual legitimate math jokes that are then explained by the creatives and the commentaries and stuff. So it's it's pretty awesome to get to watch those and uh, experience them for what they are. Um, uh, I uh, I rewatched the original Invisible Man uh, prior to heading out to our movie of the week, and I still love that movie. It's one it's still one of my favorite monster movies slash horror movies ever made. Um, it's 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 pretty amazing the that the vi- that visual effect is one that the black velvet and kind of like just like photographing it out is a an effect that stayed uh, intact for the longest time in the terms of special effects in Hollywood up until the CGI craze. So like it it didn't really change the way some other effects kind of evolved in a different way because it was just that was the way you were able to pull off that effect. Um but and we'll talk about it in our review but there's a lot of stuff that carries over from a visual standpoint um in between the two um but it, it also watching claude rains <laughs> under those bandages giving that performance is still incredible um the movie is uh it's a james whale production and he made the first frankenstein and bride of frankenstein he's got a tongue-in-cheek sense of humor the invisible man is like the 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 bridge between frankenstein and bride of frankenstein where bride of frankenstein kind of becomes more of a horror comedy and this one kind of melds the terror with the comedy in the slightest bit. Like, it's just a tinge. But, you know, and Ryan and I have talked about it, too. But, you know, the, the Invisible Man is the most diabolical and terrifying of those universal monsters because he's a straight-up just murderer and an egomaniacal man who, because of this serum, he's driven to fanciful notions of world domination and you know, un- unhitches uh, train cars and kills hundreds of people at once. So, uh, and he's just, a, it's it's kind of like watching Anarchy in Motion. It's fantastic. Um, and uh, Gloria Stewart, uh, one of her many Universal Monster appearances, she would later go on to drop a diamond into an ocean. So, um, so yeah, wonderful flick. Um, I did a fitness cinema um, and had the time of my life, and I owe it all to Dirty Dancing. Boo. <laughs> uh, is that from that movie i've never no, seen it you've never seen dirty dancing no yeah i wasn't booing the movie uh D- dirty dancing patrick swayze and uh um jennifer gray uh i had not seen the movie in a long ass time and uh it'd, it'd be interesting to have a lot of people watch it from a modern context because uh it's uh it's not as egregious as some other 80s movies where like like especially like john hughes movies where they don't like quite hold up content wise um, and in fact, Dirty Dancing is more mature than I think it, you know, gets credit for. Like, there's a whole side story about abortion, and it's a, d- done in a very respectful fashion. It's not treated as like a joke or anything. Um, but the 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 notions of a dance competition and uh, a woman, you know, <laughs> defying her parents to find her passion and also uh, uh, love for a for a sweaty Patrick Swayze, you know, like it's it's teen melodrama of the era, but somehow way more tolerable than the stuff that we get today. And I don't know if that's just me kind of looking at it with a rose colored glasses or not, but Patrick Swayze is fantastic in the movie. Uh, and it's, it's so interesting that within this same span of time, he goes from this to roadhouse. So, uh, it's, it's just, it's, it's a good time. And the music's fun. There's a young Wayne Knight in the movie pre Jurassic park, uh, do, doing basically insult humor and being like kind of like the host of this 
the story of Dirty Dancing is that they all go to a uh, country club for the week, like a like a getaway club for the weekend. There's a bunch of rich people hanging around and whatnot. Um, and Jennifer Grey's character uh, is uh, trying to find something more because she's before she goes to college and she's more politically motivated, like you know, to help uh, kids in Vietnam because it's taking place during the '60s. And she finds herself uh, 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 mixing it around with the uh, the staff of this club, and they're all you know, lower income, lower income or lower class people. And they're all just dancing. Peasants. Yeah, p- yes. Peasants, but they're sexy peasants who dance the night away to rock That's and roll music, as opposed to the rich people who are dancing to old jazz to which I'm like, don't make fun of old jazz, but they are co-opting it. Uh, and, uh, yeah. And just kind of watching the, it's, it's very much the like, you know, lower class person and the higher class person, they fall in love and they solve all the problems by the end of the movie. Um, but Wayne Knight's kind of like your, you know, a funny announcer guy, like radar on mash kind of thing where he's just kind of doing jokes and whatnot. And it's just so weird. Cause he just, you look at a young faced Wayne Knight and you're just like, man, you got your whole future ahead of you. You're going to get spit in the eye by a dinosaur. You're going to help somebody solve the JFK mystery. You're going to fight with Jerry Seinfeld for nine seasons. And then you're going to go out to help Michael Jordan defeat a bunch of aliens in a basketball game with the Looney Tunes. Wayne Knight, an American treasure. <laughs> um, and also um, you have Jerry Arbach uh, from Law & Order, and he plays the dad, and he's fantastic in that movie. Um, and the final scene of the movie with, the, with I Had the Time of My Life, that song, it's, it's, it's a wonderful finale to a movie, and it really does treat it like it's an old-fashioned musical. Um, but no yeah. one can hold a candle to Jerry Orbach. No, <laughs> you should be our guest someday. That <laughs> didn't work. Um, but yeah, uh, it's a it's a lot of fun. Um, and like I said, I don't know if it entirely holds up, but I think it's pretty okay. Uh, but uh, all told, um, I was able to get about eleven hundred calories burnt off of that thing. So hey, can't go wrong there, right? Uh, and then the last uh, thing that I watched was I got to see – so this is a Shamley episode that will be coming down the line, but I wanted to talk about it today. Um, I got to see Alfred Hitchcock's Dial M for Murder in its original 3D format uh, with special thanks to Marshall Rosales, who has been on the show and has a 3D setup at his home with a nice projector and everything. And we did an episode on Dial M for Murder, and he decided I'm going to show him the actual version. And so I – in the in in one day, I watched the 2D version and the 3D version with maybe two hours in between each viewing, and the the differences are stark. Uh, Dial in for murder. It uh, primarily takes place in one location in a London flat and involves Ray Milland uh, as a husband who is trying to set up the murder of his wife, played by Grace Kelly, so that he can inherit her money. Um, and it's a typical kind of, you know, mystery plot of the era. It's something that would come out of Hitchcock's stock. The difference is, is that, uh, when you watch it in 3D, the, uh, it was very clear that Hitchcock knew what he was doing with the technology. And much like the people who use 3D correctly, he used it to immerse the audience rather than to play with gimmicks. So there's not, with the exception of two real key moments in the movie, there's not a lot of like, look, a paddle ball like coming at you in 3D or like, oh, no, it's 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 a people reaching out to you when he uses tricks like that. They are they are they are essential to the story and not to the to the effect of 3D. Um, the uh, but the, and the, the scope is fantastic. 
the voyeurism that Hitchcock has throughout his normal films uh, is enhanced by this because he puts stuff in the foreground to uh, add to that effect. So you feel like you're a voyeur in the London flat. You're like listening in on Ray Milan's conversations uh, with uh, the people he's hiring to commit these murders or, you know, how he's trying to get away with it. So you almost feel like a par- you're an active participant in the madness that is going on inside this flat. So if you ever have a chance to watch Dial M for Murder in 3D, I highly, highly recommend you do so. It That is the way to watch that movie. It was shot for that reason. And the 2D version, I mean, it's fine. It's a fun watch. You should still watch the movie. It's a, it's a fantastic little mystery thriller. But the 3D adds something to it that, you know, like I like Hugo a lot, but I, I haven't watched Hugo a lot after watching it in 3D because I do feel it worked really well in 3D. Um, and, you know, I, I haven't watched Avatar outside of the one time I saw it in theaters in 3D. So, you know, <laughs> sometimes some movies that are made for 3D work in that format for a reason. So you'll be able to hear that episode is coming down the line. And Marshall really advocates for that technology as long as it's used properly. So, And that's all I watched this week. Brad, what did you watch this week? Uh, not a lot. I rewatched Logan in color and black and white. Hey, and speaking of <laughs> um, man gold, yeah, man gold, <laughs> gold man, man gold. Um, yeah, I, I think it was my number two for 2017. Mm-hmm. Great film. Um, just I, I really wish Patrick Stewart got more recognition for his performance in that. Mm-hmm. Like Hugh Jackman's crushing it, but also just Patrick Stewart in a supporting role. Like, dude, the devastating moment, the moment in the bed. Yeah, the regrets he pours out. It's incredible. Um, and I still like his thing with the uh, when he's uh, when he when we first see him for the first time in the movie, and he's having one of his uh, mental strokes, and he's talking about try the new quesadilla at Taco Bell. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um. So I'm, I'm I haven't watched uh, the Wolverine in a while, so I'm I'm gonna try and grab that and check it out again because I I kind of gave it a pass. I have it first time I saw I it. I have it if you want to borrow it. Oh, cool. Yeah, I probably will then. Yeah. Um, I rewatched Back to the Future Part Three because it is the third. Well, just because it's great anyway, but um, it's a it's a thirtieth anniversary of that this year too. Great so, Scott. Uh, huh. Great Scott. Yep, that's yeah. Michael Scott's production company. <laughs> um. <laughs> Yeah, that movie's tons of fun. Um, it when I when I loaded it up on the digital streaming, um, it had the Rotten Tomato of like seventy six percent. I was like, "Screw you, people!" Yeah, that seems mean. Yeah, like these are. Well, like, how many of those reviews are from the period? Yeah, I didn't look at that, but okay. I'm still like that should be all three of those belong in the nineties. Um, well, they were made in the eighties. <laughs> saw that coming a mile away from you. <laughs> um. Anyway, the last thing I saw um, that's probably the most interesting of this week is I saw Blum House's Fantasy Island. Oh, okay. Um, now I'm on record that I still want to see this movie, so I guess here's your chance to deflate my balloon. Um, yeah, it was one of the most boring things I've seen in theaters. Oh no. Um, I'm not terribly familiar with the TV show. Like, I, I get the premise of yeah. Strangers come to an island. Mr. Rourke provides them a fantasy, and um, I think... Not a fantasy, a fantasy. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, in the TV show, they're supposed to be good, like, 
more fun fantasies and obviously Blumhouse took it in a dark direction. Yeah. I mean, they're not like they've got their own consequences, but they're not horror, strictly horror based. And I wouldn't say these are horror based. Um, Hmm. Like there's some uh, violent things that happen, but nothing that's like Invisible Man scary, you know? Oh, spoilers for our review. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, it wasn't. I wouldn't. I probably classify as a thriller. And uh, okay, the main thing was that I never found any of the people on the island their fantasies or their problems in- interesting. Okay. Um. So, like the things they were desiring were not of any like particular interest to maybe say. Yeah, and the interesting- movie has so many. Like, like guess what? Now this is happening. Oh, twist. I bet you didn't know this was connected. Mm, um, okay. And you're just kind of like, they come at you too fast for me to keep up with like, I'm already not invested with what these people are going on. And also I'm trying to figure out like how this is even possible. Mm. Is the movie going to explain that it's a MacGuffin or are they going to try to make sense of the fact that these fantasies are able to manifest? Yeah. Um, and there's no... So, uh, you know, I'm wondering about that. I'm not invested in what the people are going through. Um, yeah. Okay. And uh, it, it just makes the fact that they're kind of all connected unsatisfying. Mm, okay. Um, so, yeah, I just wasn't, just didn't get me. Okay. I mean, I still might check this out at some point. Um, I guess my biggest question would be how Michael Pena is as a work. But, I mean, you don't really have a basis other than. I mean, if you're going to. Cast Michael Pena, you're. I mean, I don't want to tell an actor that they can only be one thing. I don't right. want to typecast him. Like, oh, well, Michael Pena's in the movie. He has to be funny. Yeah. But, I like I said, I never watched Ricardo Montalban do it. So. Bradley, you should. <laughs> but just cultural influence tells me that he did it the best. <laughs> and Michael Pena's not Ricardo Montalban, so. You're also on record as saying that Benedict Cumberbatch is no Ricardo Montalban, so. <laughs> Did I say that? I don't think so. No, I'm just. <laughs> I mean, I, I thought it, I made a fine con in that version of the universe, but I love both those cons. But I like. I mean, I mean, obviously Montalban's the one that sticks in my head because that's the one I watched in my younger years prior to even having a Cumberbatch as an option. Um, I mean, Fantasy Island. I've seen reruns of it on and off, and it's mainly I'm looking out for like when's when is Ricardo Montalban coming on screen. Otherwise, I could not care less. Um. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right there, on. there was one surprising thing. Um. It, this is in the beginning of the movie. So there's a tattoo mm-hmm. character. Well, she's not tattoo, but she does what. You yeah. Know, what tattoo? The movie did. opens with her running across the beach, yelling, "The plane, the plane." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um. So I was like, oh, well, they got rid of that character, replaced it with this character. Because um, they can't do that. But by the end of the movie, there is a tattoo. And it was kind of like out of nowhere, and but it made sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so the movie was trying to set up a franchise, but I don't think it's going to make it. Yeah, but okay. if it, I just wish they probably should have done that at the beginning of the movie and not the very end. So okay, um, yeah, it was just kind of boring and flat. And also, um, in the middle of the movie, the cleaning people came in and started cleaning the theater. <laughs> <laughs> They're just like nobody's in here. <laughs> yeah, um, oh, that's a shame for. Uh, that's mainly Sony kind of trying to tap their own property, so they pitched it to Blumhouse. It's like, what can you do with this, Mr. Blum? And yeah. Jason's like, well, I don't know. Try this. <laughs> yeah, I think his biggest thing is trying to, ex- like, its biggest Achilles heel is trying to explain why 
any of the fantasies are possible. Okay. Um, and I, I feel like what they went with is kind of dumb. Mm. I mean, not stupid, but just lame. Okay. Fair enough. Um, hey, not everything can be a hit with that company, and I love that company. Or trite. It's, it's just, oh, yeah. Oh, wow. It feels harsh. <laughs> Simple. Okay. Um, obvious. Or an easy, easy way out. Okay. I got gotcha. you. So. Cool. We're right on. Well, maybe I'll check it out and uh, see what see what I think. Yeah. I'll always form your own opinions. Oh, yeah. Of course. Watch things for yourself if you're curious. Yes. Um, or just that, watch some clips of me, Ricardo. You are doing a disservice to that man's legacy. I do not bother to check on the progress of my imitation. The man is dead. Show some respect. <laughs> cool. All right, that brings us to Corinne's Catching the Classics for this week. Woohoo! Hey, nerds. Corinne here for part 33 of Catching the Classics, where I watch famous and popular movies I've never seen before and send in my review. This week, I watched the classic, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. And I gotta say, it is funny. Is it supposed to be this funny? <laughs> Just love seeing all the different reactions on, like, both sets of the parents whenever they meet their kids, significant other, and... Oh my gosh, it was... <laughs> oh my god, the funniest... Okay, there are two really funny scenes that stand out in my mind. When... Um, the daughter and Catherine Hepburn's character are like upstairs and they're ironing and she's like trying to tell her mom like the whole spiel and then like the mom basically asks her like so have you guys like done it yet and she straight up admits like no we haven't he wouldn't let us and the look on Catherine Hepburn's face oh it's so good and then the other one is when the housekeeper, Tilly, comes in and Sidney Poitier's Dr. Prentice is changing and he, like, covers himself up with a shirt and she's just, like, standing there, like, berating him and she's like, what are you doing? And then she walks out of the room and she's like, and you're not even that good looking. And I'm like, did you just say that to Sidney motherfucking Poitier? Like, <laughs> girl, do you even have eyes? He's gorgeous. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was the the girls like, "Yeah, I fell in love with him after 20 minutes." And I'm like, "Oh, it only took me 30, but most, half of that was like credits, girl." <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, that scene uh where he comes in and he tells the parents that, you know, I I recognize like this relationship has, you know, it's very it's come up very quickly and like we want to get married and I'm in love with your daughter, but I don't want her to jeopardize her relationship with you. So if you don't consent, then we're not going to get married. And I was like, oh, take me away now, Sydney Poitier. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, it was funny. But also, like, there were a lot of great um, poignant moments, too. Like, the different speeches that the various characters make throughout the film, especially toward the end whenever the uh, apprentices show up. Oh my gosh, like... There's so much star power in this movie, but I gotta say, like, the MVP is, I think, it B. Richards or Bea Richards, I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce her name, but she plays Mrs. Prentice, and holy shit, she gets, like, 15 minutes of screen time, but she just, like, captivates you, and she, so wonderful, and I love the fact that, you know, there, there were conversations between black people and white people, and... Like, they were on an 
even footing. Like it wasn't, you know, a, an employer talking to an employee or, you know, whatever. It was like two sets of parents who were, you know, it's like our kids want to get together and neither of us really feel good about it or both of us feel good about it or whatever. And so it was like, it was great to see like both, like all four of them were equals effectively. So, although then it kind of gets diminished a little bit at the end when the last line is the white man yelling at a black woman, when are we going to eat? I'm like, okay, you had so much goodwill built up and now some of it is gone. <laughs> oh my gosh. But no, nah, it's a wonderful movie and so many great moments and b both funny and powerful. So, um, yeah, I'm going to give it four and a half stars. There were, like, a couple of little tiny things that bothered me about it. Um, the outdated terminology they use. I mean, I know that was probably the most respectful way to say it at the time. You know, the different terms that they use for black people. Um, but obviously it's dated now. And I realize they can't help that. But it still just makes the movie feel a little bit awkward sometimes. Um, and then the other thing was, like, there's just, like, jet setting all over the place. Was air travel so much, like, cheaper and easier back then? Because the 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 couple, like, flies in from Hawaii that morning or, like, early afternoon, like, around lunchtime, they land. And then they say they're going to fly out that night to New York and then fly the next day to Geneva. And then the apprentices fly up from Los Angeles in, like, a snap. It's... Where is this kind of air travel? They make it sound like it's just a long car ride. Like, oh, no big deal. Like, we'll just hop on a flight to Los Angeles or to San Francisco from Los Angeles. Must have been nice back in the 60s. Shit. Well, except for all the racism. But, <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so, and admittedly, like, I think we're in a better place now, you know, watching this film I mean, there's definitely still racism today, don't get me wrong, but I think we're in a better place now than we were then that, you know, I think interracial couples especially, like, it might be weird in some pockets of the country, but I think at least here in Denver, like, if you walked around and it was an interracial couple of any races, I don't think most people would care. But, yeah, bringing them home to your parents, a little bit different. Anyway... Um, so yeah, four and a half stars, really good movie. You should all check it out if you haven't already. It's on Netflix. And, uh, so next time, uh, we're going to put up another poll. So it should be on the Facebook page already. Maybe, um, go vote on it. Um, I will let you guys pick if I watch Inglorious Bastards or Zodiac next. So go vote in the poll if you haven't already. And I will talk to you guys again soon. Bye. I would say no matter what race you are, bringing uh, your significant other, other to meet your parents is awkward. <laughs> yeah, especially if it would end up being me. I mean, could you imagine having to explain me? That would be freaking difficult. Yeah, I don't think you'd make it through the threshold. No, no. I'd be kicked out immediately, like Jazzy Jeff being thrown out of the Fresh Prince house. <laughs> so you come um, up the driveway. Yeah, it's funny. Like she, she was bringing up the more comedic elements of that film, and it, it is, it is very much a dramedy of its era, era to a certain degree. And there's a blending of, there's always kind of a blending of of uh, of humor in a good drama, anyway. And 
you know, we, we uh, it's funny, like within the last three years, you know, get out when it came out, you know, it, 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 it has a, a, a significant amount of humor for being the horror movie that it is obviously. Cause you know, Jordan Peele comes from that comedy world, but like, there's a situation where you can find humor in that. And, you know, Stanley Kramer directed guess who's coming to dinner back in the six, back in 67. And it's, it's unlikely that he wouldn't have some form of humor stuck in there. And the performances in that film are fantastic all around. And, uh, uh, yeah, and um, she was um, talking um, about um, the woman who plays uh, Mrs. Prentice, um, and that is uh, Bay Richards. She was nominated for an Oscar for Supporting Actress for this movie, so uh, as well as the Golden Globe. So, and, and she is fantastic in the movie. She isn't given that much, but what she is, she she works with it. It's very much like Viola Davis in Doubt. Um, but yeah, I still think it's a fantastic film. I've never seen it, so oh, uh, you should watch it. it you, you, might, you might find it interesting. I yeah. mean, and and as far as like the outdated terminology, like yes, and it's it's. I will say though that that movie is not even close to trying to hurt anybody's feelings at all whatsoever. It is trying to tell a very uh, progressive story. So has Criterion done that one? I believe they have. Yeah. Uh, if they haven't, they should get on that because then they can make a Stanley Kramer pack. If it's not there, it's Kino uh, Lober, um, uh, Lorber. Um, and because uh, Kino Lorber put out uh, Judgment at Nuremberg, which is, I think, one of Stanley Kramer's finest films. Um, that's depressing, but great. Um, and as far as your next uh, film to watch, I don't know. You're, I mean, one of them is the third greatest movie of all time, and then the other one is an equally great film on its own merits and number one for a lot of people. That's a tough call. I don't know what, I don't know which one I'd pick of those two. I want to know together. how boring she finds Zodiac. Cause I think she'll find it boring, even mm. though it's amazing. It's pretty amazing. Uh, and glorious bastards on the other hand. Um, I don't know. She didn't, she wasn't even interested in seeing once upon a time in Hollywood. I don't know if she'll be up for Inglorious bastards. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Corinne, tell us what your opinion is on Quentin Tarantino at large. It's another revisionist history, Tarantino. So and it's the first time he really snaps into, does that, and kind of yeah. tests those waters with, uh, with. Well, we don't want to spoil what she, what he does, even though I guess it's pretty out in the open. Um, but yeah, Corinne, tell us what you end up watching. If it's Zodiac, let me know how boring you think it is, and then I will immediately say you're wrong, because uh, that movie's great. Well, she's gonna have to go up against you, James and Ryan. Yeah, that's so, true. Yeah, you're the only one who'd be in her corner. <laughs> I don't hate it. I just, I'm just not as like head over heels as you guys are for it. You're just like, okay, <laughs> just walked out. <laughs> um, but yeah, cool, awesome. Thank you, Corinne. Yeah, that brings us to this week's review of The Invisible Man 2020. Yep, just The Invisible Man, please. Let's keep some austerity here. It's a monster movie. It's dude. not the original. That's true. <laughs> it is a fresh take. Yes. On a classic film, Zach, what'd you think of The Invisible Man? I'm glad you asked, should people see The Invisible Man? Because that's a trick question they can't. Because <laughs> um, normally it's, should people go see it? Um, I think you should. Um, I was very that's happy. That's what I asked. I asked, what'd you think oh, of it? Oh, what'd you think? <laughs> okay. I think people should go see this movie. I think you should be seeing it in droves. Um, I loved how this movie was able to make the monster scary again. Uh, we haven't had that in a long, long time. Um, these monsters that come back from the past era um, that were done very effectively in the thirties for audiences back then, it's very hard to find a take on them that makes them genuinely scary. And I think what Lee Wannell did, which was amazing, which was strip it down, 
to its core elements of the idea of invisibility and found a poignant story to tell within that. I think Elizabeth Moss is fantastic in this film. I think this film is directed quite beautifully for a monster movie and for a film in general. Um, and I think that he makes perfect use of the things that he set up with his directorial debut upgrade to, or not to his, not debut, but his previous film upgrade to, um, to really kind of tap into how you can create some energy and some tension and terror into this piece. Um, I, I absolutely recommend you check this out. And I think it's, it's probably one of my favorite movies of the year thus far. Brad, should people, what did, what, what did you think of the invisible man? I'm glad you asked Zach. Um, I was actually impressed, uh, by the movie. Um, I wouldn't, (laughs) I wouldn't say the invisible man was scary, but it was unsettling because uh, I felt like the entire movie, The Invisible Man, was somewhere in the frame. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and and when I was done with the film, I generally had the feeling of like I wanted to look over my shoulder constantly on my way home mm-hmm. in the real world. Uh, so I think it was a very effective thriller. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, but I, but there were some dumb moments that I uh, hmm. had questions about. So we'll tackle the tackle those in spoilers okay so can i introduce it okay how do you do the real nerds would like to present to you the trailer sorry fucking mistake for the invisible man i think it'll thrill you it may shock you it might even horrify you but just listen is that a nod to the original because we're talking about the new film zach it's just universal monsters and i like it this is all a lot of fun Adrian, he was a sociopath. He said that I could never leave him. He controlled how I looked and what I wore. Then I was controlling when I left the house and eventually what I thought. to be invisible.
Sorry. Show yourself! Surprise. Let me help you. You can't help me. So the update of the Invisible Man, <laughs> Elizabeth, Elizabeth Moss is a um, tortured girlfriend yes. of a tech billionaire who works in optics, and she is trying to escape this toxic relationship. Um, and one night she Cecilia, yeah, Cecilia clumsily does that. Um, I don't say clumsily like mistakes happen when you're, you know, trying to do any kind of thing, period, like especially something that's stressful. She could have planned that so much better, um, hmm. given how competent she is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like she bumbles it in a way that is intentional to just produce a plot. I would argue that she is with the amount of terror that she feels from a person who has been abusing her for those years something just happens because you are just you're on the edge of your own like you're on you're on edge and so i think it motivates it properly yeah but is the dog bowl a little convenient yeah but the dog bowl is a little convenient i can let that one slide but i feel like the amount of packing she has to do probably should have been done Mm. earlier (laughs) and it feels like she wasn't even sure if the plan would even work because it feels like she's not even sure if her sister will show up because there's that moment where she's outside of the property and she's wondering where are you where are you yeah does she even know if the sister's gonna show up i think she expected her to but i I don't think the sister's taking it seriously enough Mm. that she is because she does say what's going on yeah like she's not in on what's yeah going on so but adrian has she's not in in a hurry as much as elizabeth is yeah yeah but adrian adrian griffin um uh (laughs) now 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 griffin is the name of the invisible man in most of the original invisible man movies thank you very much uh and but you know he he finds that she's disappeared and you know like fucking breaks the glass of that car and i think that scene for the like for the most part outside of what you are bringing up like i mean like I, i don't agree i think it does work on that tension level however though it's it's a pretty effective opening to a movie that works off of we don't need any dialogue we are watching it unfold yeah so. no I, I i will not dispute that the movie is effective it's at yeah. terrifying and creating suspense mm-hmm. uh but you you bring up the fact that he punches the window with his bare fist that is a little extreme um well so, not extreme so that here's where i'm going he punches he he's so strong that he breaks that window on the first try he flips the table later mm-hmm. when he's assaulting her in the home, yeah. um, and you're, you're revealed that he exists. And then she is able to slice his throat and hold him down in the finale of the movie. The superhuman that has flipped that gigantic table in one thrust mm-hmm. <laughs> cannot overpower the woman once she's got the suit on. Right. Okay. So that I was a little like, I mean, it's a cool scene mm-hmm. to end the movie, but I'm just like, doesn't add up i think well unless metaphorically like well she's so strong now in a in a thematic sense which i feel like that that's it that's a great way to to look at it within that respect i think just more from the she gets the upper hand and gets that throat he's just taken aback that she would stand up for herself that way i guess but at the same time like he's proven himself so strong 
to flip that table mm-hmm. and punch that glass that he couldn't overpower her. Like she has been like she's been he's been he's tossed her around the entire movie mm-hmm. and when she's simply just standing behind him um he he's suddenly so incredibly weak i was just like okay so i i mean i i think you can you can chalk a little bit of this up to again we are you know we are dealing with a thriller in, in some sense as a tech thriller not unlike an up what upgrade ended up being was it two years ago now upgrade came out i think so so but at the end of the day we are dealing with a universal monster movie or a monster movie in general and so i'm not saying it ruined it for me but i'm just like yeah, it's but i think that that kind of can be overcome with just you know watching a character you followed and relate to and can identify with succeed and then i I mean at least for me i'm able to kind of overlook it but i understand how it's it is interestingly like how she is overcoming but i think at this point she's just had it at this point so with all the care that like goes in that went into this movie it Mm -hmm. seems like um and as effective as it is it's it's weird that things like that fall by the wayside Uh, Mm -hmm. the other thing is um when she you know, when she finds the stuff in the attic and uh, it's a cool reveal when she dumps the paint on him. Mm-hmm. Um, but he really effectively cleans himself off having not gone to the sink right. until... Well, she but she takes a minute to get down those stairs too. But you never hear him washing until she gets around the corner. Um, and that, like it, then like he is mm. spotless. Like... yeah. Pain is not easy to clean up like that, and it's yeah. not as confined to the sink, especially yeah. when you're trying to get like that. Should be all over the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he, he should. Yeah, I like. Obviously, they clean him up so that it's like a cool reveal, right, in the room. But you know, realistically, you're just like, how did he? How's he? How's this possible? Like, I, gu- I guess like the the only way that I could like you know counteract that would be. I mean, and it kind of delves into what we should talk about, which is how the invisibility is achieved in this movie. Cause it's not how it's been done in the past with like a serum or heck, even the hollow man technology. <laughs> um, the, we're dealing with a suit and yeah, which is cool, which like, is a really great. Yeah. It was a great thing. My thing is just like, I guess it's more just like, you know, maybe the suit, you know, can reflect the light. Cause it's essentially reflect. It's gotta be reflected. It's a real world, th- real world thing. Yeah. A cloak. Yeah, that so, people are creating is based on using cameras and light wavelengths to bend. Yeah, to bend the, the to space hide, around. Yeah, them. yeah. Um, I mean, I guess I don't really have an answer for it unless it's just the director using using sound how he wants to. I mean, Hitchcock did that all the time, and and filmmakers still do that where sound is only addressed for the immediacy of the character itself or where it's important. So yeah. it's a decision, you know. But I can't imagine like how much more effective that scene would have been had I not been thinking about that. Yeah. Like during that scene. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, it's ultimately a good horror moment and, yeah. and it builds on it, but I understand. Absolutely. It just takes just, me out of it. Like instead of focused on the scene, I'm just like, how do you clean them off so fast? Like, right. Um, when did he even clean himself at all? Cause we haven't heard the sink until she got into the kitchen. So, yeah. Um, okay. And then all of a sudden, bam reveal. I'm like, Oh shoot, mm-hmm. I should be paying attention to the movie and not thinking about how things work. So, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, otherwise like, um, the, the, the lengths that Adrian goes to, to terrorize her and make her think she's crazy. Yeah. And so the, the main plot within this, it's, and again, it's not like a, 
a normal Invisible Man movie where like the Invisible Man like talks up a storm and plays a bunch of jokes on people. It's a you know it's a pretty much a silent Invisible Man throughout most of this movie. Um, but you know Adrian slashes his wrists and commits suicide, and he or does he? Yeah, well <laughs> that's the thing. So uh, Celia is granted five million dollars from his estate under the condition that she is not found insane or found guilty of a crime, and slowly. Uh, the Invisible Man is torturing Cecilia to uh, reach that end. Burning and, her uh, relationships with her friends. And her family. And, yep. um, and uh, really causing terror. And, and, it, and it dives well into the elements of uh, abusive relationships and uh, post-traumatic stress disorder and that kind of trauma that ensues within that. Um, what's interesting is, you know, you're, the... the what I found fascinating about this movie in terms of how it's being a monster movie, there's uh there's more than one invisible man in the movie. Which I totally saw coming. Yeah. I did too when they revealed the suit. That's when I was like, Okay, so clearly the brothers involved somehow. It didn't take me out of it. I was just like, Okay, this is a good choice. Because I liked I'm in favor of that because this technology is a good way to introduce the invisible man concept into the 20 into like the 21st century. It's just like, we can't do the alchemy thing again. Um, which I mean, was the thing that like, I love the Wolfman movie from 2010 and I love how it sticks to that Victorian route, but it also kind of ages it in a way that like, it's not going to relate to people the way it did say back in the thirties. And this one takes the appropriate steps to modernize it without shoving it down my face, I think. Because, like, even the f- phone access in this movie is not, like, made a huge, huge deal of, except for when it's absolutely necessary. Um, like, that great moment where she discovers that Adrian's phone is up there. Mm. I think that's a great reveal of a cell phone in a house that you're trying to look. I thought it was a fantastic reveal. Um, and he shoots it accordingly well. Um, but, yeah, the brother, his brother who has been... Uh, uh, who was who uh, gave her the information about the will and whatnot has been pulling strings for Adrian, uh, and it would seem it's because it's revealed that he has found out uh, through the course of these events that Celia was pregnant with Adrian's child, and that uh, whatever whatever goal Adrian had in mind initially to drive her crazy has changed, and you know we'll we'll make the, he the brother reaches out to her when she's insane and having uh, after having slashed her sister's throat in the uh or or the invisible man does it uh slashes her sister's throat in a restaurant in public and what in what I think is one of the most terrifying scenes of the year yeah is that just the way it's revealed um is that I wasn't expecting but yeah. the way it's shown with that floating knife just these two close up shots that uh um back and forth mm-hmm. and you think uh Cecilia's finally going to be able to like reach out like get uh across with somebody and then like you're you're watching Cecilia and you're not even like I'm not even paying attention to what her sister's looking at yeah. until it just twitches a little bit and there's suddenly like a knife next to her yeah um I mean when I saw it I was like wait and then it's just quick yeah it's super quick it's a great reveal yeah it's a great edit it and it uh, and then and then it slows appropriately down but it's found when she gets when she's found when she's taken to an institution after being arrested it's found out through blood work that she's pregnant with adrian's child which is something that she was avoiding by trying to take um uh birth control to avoid having his child so that she wouldn't have to stay in the relationship 
I guess he artificially inseminated her anyway. It's either that or, or raped just, her. Yeah, well, it's it's there's implied. So I think yeah, it's implied rape. Yeah, um, it's it's not shown, but it that's what's the deal here. So um, the brother says, you know, we'll make this all go away if you uh, sign over the um, uh, 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 custody, you, of the custody, kid. custody of the kid. Um, and basically he wants control of her again and she just refuses rightfully so. And, you know, and then she finds a way to, uh, fight the invisible man in a wonderful, uh, action slash horror sequence in the hospital, uh, with the, I mean, they showed a little bit in the, in the trailer, but they don't show the whole thing. And I'm glad they don't show the whole thing in that trailer. Cause the whole scene itself is, I think one of, a, one of the more inventive action sequences in a horror movie, um, and it, if you've seen Upgrade, there's a lot of that fast, uh, fast motion involved. Uh, and she's able to make the suit go haywire uh, by stabbing Adrian in the shower when she uh, is able to get access to a pen. So instead of having a man in bandages as the Invisible Man, we get this. And I thought when I saw that, I was like, oh, that's clever. That's a good way to get an Invisible Man that you can see. Um, without having to do the bandage thing and the glasses and the top hat and stuff. Um, and then we're treated to some very scary stuff outside. And uh, Which, the, another thing that took me out of the movie is um, I'm surprised, you know, the rain should be bouncing off of him. Um, it kind of, well, it's floating be, down him. Huh? It's kind of streaming down him. Yeah, but um, it just it seems like he should be easier to spot. Like, obviously, they're doing it to make the scene more... Uh, suspenseful by not being able to see him, but yeah, um, we he's a physical body. Like the the the, the rain should be bouncing off of that st- structure, <laughs> um, and she should be able to spot him easier. But I get it; we're trying to make it creepier yeah. and scarier. Yeah, um, I mean, and no, it, it makes logical sense within that respect. I mean, I think like Hollow Man. Like I haven't watched Hollow Man in forever, and I don't plan on doing it necessarily. But I remember that the logic around that, like the the CGI logic, was like a little bit more consistent with what you're talking about. Um, yeah, and then sometimes, uh, like most of the time, that is a CGI character. Mm-hmm. Um, so later on, when it's uh, in the later on in the fight in the home, when it's the brother in the suit, yeah, um, when he falls over dead, it's not the best uh, CGI body animation I've seen in a while. So it seemed a little goofy. Okay. So, um, like I it looked like a CGI character, unfortunately. Right. I mean, and, and I think that's just a matter of the way that suit looks anyway. Like you're kind of like, I mean, I like the way it's kind of flashing in and out with the face and whatnot in different parts of the body. Um, that's cool. I just mean when you fall, oh, oh, when you fall, like when the he compositing fall. just looks uh, like, whoa, 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 whoa. like okay. they forgot to render something. I'd have to rewatch it. Uh, I, yeah. didn't, I didn't recognize that right away. I'm not even sure why it's CGI at that point. Like I feel like that the full thing's exposed. It's just be a real. I think it's because the cameras are eternally moving. Like because they they establish that when she discovers the the existence of the suit, those cameras are always kind of worrying, even though they're not activating the invisibility portion of the suit. Yeah, but like a god's eye view of it, where he actually falls to the ground, I'm like, that could have just been a guy. In a it's suit. far away. Like you could paint you, the cameras on. Just use sound effects to kind of cover it up. Yeah, I mean, you are dealing with a seven seven million dollar movie. Maybe they just made a decision. It know. would have been cheaper to put a guy in a. A scuba suit. <laughs> <laughs> um, regardless of that, though, um, the twist is that the brother is behind, is in the suit, and that it's implied that Adrian has 
been a captive of his own brother. But we we know off the bat that this is not the case because like no, the whole time I I knew that they were working in tandem. But and so here's the question I have for you because Lee Wannell, who directed the film and wrote the film, he's known for twists. This is the guy who created Saw. Mm-hmm. Was uh, this is the first time there's been a Lee Wannell twist where? Because I know the information already up front from just way Celia is talking about Adrian and his, their, their history with him. It's a twist where I'm just like, it's a Hitchcockian twist. We, we're already ahead of this. We know what this is going to turn out as. And it's an emotional payoff for the character of just like, no, you don't understand. He's not going to stop. This is not, this is not, this isn't about him being a victim of his brother. This is, this has always been what he's up to. So it's, it's, on its on the surface it's a twist but it's also just a way to keep that plot going while still kind of you know giving the audience a little bit of a jolt so i didn't like find it as off but like i i wasn't a big fan of the end of upgrade if i recall correctly where it, the kind of the twist that it had at the end i don't remember it yeah i mean so i think that this was interesting where it plays on a twist but we as the audience clearly know that's not the case i don't think there's a single person watching this movie who assumes that Adrian is innocent in any way, shape, or form, just based off of the way we've been setting this up. No. So it's interesting how they play it that way. And then the finale, we get an Invisible Man monologue of sorts, just in the form of Oliver Jackson Cohen, who I've never heard of up until this point, playing Adrian in, in his, you know, in his visible form. And the uh the culmination of this abusive relationship comes in the form of the invisible woman slashing his throat and knowing the proper angle of the security camera. She is able to get away with it. I loved that ending a lot. We got, obviously we talked about the, the physics of, of everything with just her, yeah, her superhuman. I, I was reminded that uh, early on, cause she, you know, she was able to do that to him cause she hid that extra suit earlier mm. in the movie. And I remember thinking when she escaped the house and called that Uber. Yeah. How, how did he keep up with her? Like, mm. he must be the fastest man alive. So did you, he's uh, either like attached himself to the, the car, car and followed with them, mm-hmm. um, or he was just found a way to get ahead of her somehow. Yeah, but um, she had enough. Like, if he was attached to the car to get out to his house, she still had plenty of time to go in go down to the basement, find it, hide it. Like if he was attached to the car, he would have been with her the entire time. Mm. So it's, um, did, did you read any uh, articles about the film afterward, uh, with mm-hmm. Lee Wannell discussing it? He said something that I felt very interesting. Uh, and I don't know if this helps you out at all with the logic department, but you know, there's moments where in this film where you look around corners and you don't know if, uh, the invisible man's in the room. And he said, and he was rather coy about it. He's just like, I might be the only one who knows where he actually is in every frame of the movie and uh, in terms of like where you think he might be lurking. And there's a lot of moments in the movie where he's not where you think he is. So that doesn't explain that on the surface of just the movie, but it's very clear. He's kind of playing with the idea of this is a person who just somehow finds a way to get to where he needs to be to in, uh, to enact his terror. So I know it doesn't explain it on a logic element, but it's interesting to think about. Like I'm just saying, like when you yeah. don't explain stuff like that, I'm sitting there in the movie distracted, trying yeah. to think like, okay, well, did he? Like the only explanation is that he had a car around the block, got in it, and followed. Like, 
well, 10 minutes behind or something. Well, we also don't know how long it takes the Uber driver to figure out how to get there, per se, because yeah. it's an Uber driver. How does he know exactly where But still, go? if there's a delay, like, how does he know, like, what her next move is going to be, you know? I just don't know how... Mm. Well, fair enough. Like, if he showed up an hour later and she was gone mm-hmm. and started rifling through his stuff, trying to figure out, like, oh, someone's been in the house. I guess like, that so, makes sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But it was just it was so close together. Yeah, it, like make sense for the pacing of the movie, but it's you know again left me kind of distracted, going like, how does that make sense? Fair enough. Um, I'd have to rewatch the movie again with these notes in mind because I want to. I mean, I'm definitely going to this movie again. <laughs> I yeah. I had a good. I had a. It's a it's a good scary time at the movies for 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 my taste. Um, and I think that also. You know, oh god. Uh, the movie never resolved what she's if she's really pregnant. What she's going to do with that kid. I don't think it needs to. I don't think it needs to resolve that issue. The bottom line is Adrian's dead at this point now. So that the the element of the of the the, the problem in that relationship is removed by the end of this movie and she gets her 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 healing uh, is allowed to commence properly. Yeah. Because he's it's it's explained at the top of this movie like it's as long as he is around he is not going to stop. And she talks about the fear of just like, you know, I, he once said to me that I, he would, he would find a way to find me and I could, I, I could be in a room and not even know he was there. And it's about getting rid of that ghost that is haunting you, um, it, within a physical manifestation. And also to wrap up the fact that she's not going to go away for taking out this, this scumbag, um, because of the way she arranges it with her cop friend where it's, and you know, she's the one who knows Adrian's security cameras. So I think that the baby's future is is irrelevant to a certain extent, even though it is an, uh, a, a bit of an important plot point for a certain section of the emotional motivation of the movie. I'm still curious, though. Like, how much does she hate Adrian? Did, like, would she get an abortion? Because she doesn't want to have any connection to him at all. But I think she's not Or even... would she, like, well, it's not... This child's not his fault. Yeah. But also, she, like, early on says, like... You know, I went through through great lengths to not have his kid. Yeah. So what we I I don't know. I I don't know what the answer is. We're kind of just we're more left on her victory by the end. That I think that that question is not fully needed to be answered. But again, you know, it's interesting to think about because that is an emotional crux that is addressed by the finale. Yeah, and um, it's a cool reveal because it also early on when she is in um the her officer friend's house mm-hmm. um and she first starts talking to the wall mm-hmm. you know sensing that he's there yeah um and she's wondering like why me like oh, why scene oh my god like of all the women you can have like oh. why are you so fixated on me yeah and then the fact that she, he knows that he's impregnated her um just like looking back makes that scene yeah and because and, and yeah, Cause I'm thinking about that point. I'm just like, yeah, why? Like, what's special about her? Like, you could just have some. There's plenty of other fish in the sea. Well, like but, why Cecilia? But he's but he's this psychotic like, and I think and it's what's interesting is that 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 element is able to exist one on the level of what they're talking about with an abusive relationship, but number two, the Invisible Man in every iteration has always have some form of insanity that's uh, involved in it, and it's mainly structured within the novel, the original novel by H.G. Wells. It's a man who goes insane. In this case, the the power of invisibility doesn't drive him insane. It's just that he's always been insane, and now he has the ability to. 
I would say he's insane. Inaccurate. I'd say he's just a nar- such a narcissist. Well, he's a narcissist, yes, but he's also mad. Like he's he's fucking nuts. Like just the the lengths he is willing to go to torture this woman. That's fucking insane, in my opinion. But it it is. But I appreciate that. Um, God, I was gonna say if you distract me. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to. <laughs> um, but she is talking about the. Um, Oh, the, the the fact that like it's it's not like this movie just doesn't explain that uh, explain away that he's crazy. They give it a good, uh, it re- they reinforce his narcissism with the fact that yeah he could he's so wealthy he's so powerful that he could have someone else besides Cecilia mm-hmm. do this, but it's because that he is so actually weak mm-hmm. um, inside that he needs her. Yeah, because he's he's because he, no one else will put up like with that with that amount of bullshit with his personality and he and his his assumption is that like you will put up with this and yeah then that and that combined with the narcissism combined with the control complex combined with the insanity that all comes together in just this horrifying monster that you know I, I mean. I found it interesting that like we're we're not adapting HG Wells directly, but like that concept is still there. Like it's not it hasn't gone away. It's just that it's been restructured and retooled. And I think it it's a monster that this this current era and I think it's an era that's kind of timeless to a certain respect of just how relationships are handled by these control freaks and weirdos, that, you know, this this kind of story can last even beyond what the the original Invisible Man was able to do. Like, I see this as something that can extend beyond even just the current era that we are dealing with, with the immediacy of it. So, because the timing of the movie's release is, you know, coming off of, amongst other things, the Weinstein trial uh, coming to an end in New York. So, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of wraparound with this that is very interesting to to note from a historical level to see what it's going to how it'll impact down the line. I'm I'm very interested to see. Um, And I liked the music in this movie. Um, kind of a little, had a little bit of a saw flare in certain parts in it, but there's some over the top horror music going on that fits the scenes. Well, honestly, I don't remember any of it. Uh, there's kind of like a nice little, like big orchestra feel to it towards the end. I really liked that kind of feel, especially when she's at the end and there's, but there's also some kind of like, I don't know how to describe the music. I don't want to call it saw, Charlie Clouser's like score for saw where it's kind of like, kind of, uh, uh, heavy string industrial kind of feel to it but if uh, you say so i just i don't remember <laughs> it at all so. i can't i can't hear it in my head right now at all um not that it's bad i just i can't oh hear yeah it. uh i think you i think the way i was reading it i was looking at it just like man he's placing stuff in a correct way where like certain scenes can have a more modern feel but some of these need like a classical horror score kind of behind it so he mixes the score is mixed very well in in terms of finding different tones um yeah it's fantastic and it's proven pretty well at the box office that Blumhouse gave him a three-year first look deal. So mm-hmm. good for Lee Wannell to find a way to revitalize the monsters in a way that uh, Tom Cruise certainly could not do. Um, so, yeah, I'm just saying, give me some more monsters. Give me a new Wolfman movie if you must, or give me a new Dracula. I'd love a new Dracula. He had a pitch for Dracula about stripping away the cape and whatnot, and I was like, I'm down with that. <laughs> I don't need the cape. <laughs> just, uh, I mean... I feel like uh, Taika Waititi's What We Do in the Shadows modernized vampires pretty well, considering it's not modern. Yeah. I mean, it's modern, but it's not. Um, but I get, I would say like the energy vampire would be a good 
<laughs> yeah, <laughs> a good uh, way to go about that. But a modern like a, analog for that. But like in a horror way, and not even just a strict like not even not a joke, but yeah. like in this way, you know, the the tech being like a yeah modernization. Yeah, deal with it on an emotional level too. With just like how people kind of like suck out your own energy, like your your yeah yeah. Um, I was thinking about how Frankenstein could be done this whole time, or uh, what is it like um, a, a dependent relationship? Yes, yes, yes. That's like, another yeah, one. like so, like they need you so much that they just suck the life out of you. Which would which would play on the opposite uh, a, a attention to Dracula, which is as the concept is, is that like one of the reasons Dracula was so successful back then is like Bella Lugosi was seen as a sex symbol, so like the idea of him you know, biting into a woman's neck was like kind of like an allegory for sex for people. And, you know, in an era where they can't show, you know, anything hardcore in films and whatnot. So, uh, it would be interesting to play up on that angle, as you suggested. I, I know Lee Wannell had more to his, uh, description of what he would do, but yeah. it's also somebody who's, you know, flying off the seat of his pants in an interview too. So, yeah. What would Frankenstein be? I feel like Frankenstein would have an interesting, uh, discussion to have about uh the abortion debate amongst other things about like you know wh who has the right to say what life can be created and taken away um but it's also a matter of just like how do you play that angle because frankenstein is about the the complex of a man who feels like he can create life without reckoning upon god but also it's the idea of like a man is trying to do something that men aren't able to do, which is create, literally create life or give birth to life. Yeah. You know? I'll go elsewhere. Cause I think people enjoy like the, the monster itself. Mm -hmm. So I would probably take away the scientist, Dr. Frankenstein and just do um, like if you were rebuilt from other parts, like how much of you is really you, which mm -hmm. I think they've done before. Um, yeah, I mean they've in science fiction. Yeah, oh yeah, it, 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 yeah. I don't think it's done been done strictly with the Frankenstein thing. Um, I know Wano brought up and whatnot is just like get rid of the neck bolts, which I don't disagree with. I mean, like that look is iconic, obviously, but like it is a guy. If you every every look of the modern Prometheus in the novels and whatnot is a person who is stitched together from different body parts. Uh, I I know you hadn't seen it yet, but Bride of Reanimator is all about that concept of literally stitching together a new life from various different potty parts. So now that I think of it, Bride of the Animator might be a better Frankenstein movie than most Frankenstein movies. Or the Bionic Man. <laughs> Bionic Man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's not unfair. I mean, I, I'd like to see what they'd be able to do with it that in that context from a modern angle because it seems like it's something that... RoboCop. RoboCop's kind of a Frankenstein. yeah. Can Especially we, the modern one. Can we have Kurtwood Smith play Dr. Frankenstein in Frankenstein? <laughs> 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 Bitches leave. I'm about to create life. <laughs> Y'all are dumbasses. Give me my sutures. <laughs> um, yeah. Wolfman. Just a guy with rage issues, I guess. You could have rage issues, yeah. And, and it's easy to take it out of the Victorian setting, I think. Like, so the Hulk. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. We've got to, we've got to, actually, dude, that's how you do a Hulk movie. You make it a Wolfman movie. You don't try to make it this Shakespearean nonsense. You make it a werewolf movie. Uh, They've done that. <laughs> not, not really, though, have they? Like, You want the Hulk to be scary? Kind of, yeah. <laughs> I kind of do. Like, I mean, not, not super scary to where I can't root for him, but it's just like I'd love to, for them to play into that fear. I feel like Louis Latier's film 
doesn't understand how to make him intimidating in the same way that like, I mean, I don't love Ang Lee's movie, but you know, Ang Lee deals with some scary imagery regardless of the quality of the CGI. Like there's zombie poodles in that fucking movie. So, um, uh, and then creature from the black lagoon. I mean, uh, we technically already had a great version of that, that one best picture and rightfully so. Um, yeah. Uh, and then, uh, the mummy. Well, you know what I think? Just get Brendan Fraser back in there and have him be the mummy itself. He's owed that much. But what's like, what's deep down? Like what's the, the drama behind the mummy? Uh, it's love just a, unfulfilled. He's just a zombie. That, that weird obsession. Uh, there could be an obsession within that. Of yeah. Just like like the, they do that with the, the Brendan Fraser movies where he's just obsessed with yeah his lost love. So it's already kind of handled in that certain respect. But there's gotta be something modern and cooler than that. Hmm. for the mummy i don't know i don't know what you do with the mummy i mean like i mean i know what you could have done and they did it and i didn't like it uh not as or at least not as much as other people did so. yeah but yeah mummy's basically a zombie so yeah like that's the most modern i just don't know what the mummy's motivation is yeah and then phantom of the opera i think it's just that's a very simple answer just make the phantom scary again and don't make it a musical that's yeah. that's my I only Solid saw the answer. <laughs> I only saw the 2004 one once, and I remember enjoying it. It's not terrible. I don't think Gerard Butler's great in that role, but I don't think that movie's like directed badly or anything. No, I thought his character was like enough of a dick that you're like he was a, <laughs> he was enough of a monster. Like he wasn't, you know, Jason or Freddy, but no. But I think that but the goal of that version of it is coming off of the musical, which is that he's more sim- he's much more sympathetic or. Uh, you know, love, not lovable. What's the word? Like the, the, the romantic interest is stronger than say the Lon Chaney version from the early days where he's clearly the monster. I feel like, I feel like his drive is envy. Yeah. Well, cause he's, you know, he's living under the sewers and uh, under the, th- under the, uh, the theaters in Paris. So. Yeah. But I think the monitored version of that would just be someone who's like obsessed with like stardom. It's like a fan chaser or, start- or fame, no fame, fame chaser. chaser. Yeah. 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 Dude. Oh, so everybody said like Joker was trying to do something like that. I'm just like, no, we do this with Phantom of the Opera and get mm. Joaquin Phoenix to put on some fucked up facial makeup. I don't know if I'd have him with a fucked up face. I would just think like his scars are internal. Hmm. You know how people have like body dysmorphia. Yeah. So like, would he, would he still live under, under, underneath a theater or something like that? No, that? no. Our version would be, he's just, he probably just is glued to like the computer <laughs> uh, just w- like watching and like just reading tabloids and stuff. Phantom of the HP server. <laughs> <laughs> Phantom of the internet. Um, and he's not technically a universal monster that thrived a bunch, but uh, the Hunchback of Notre Dame. I mean, but that, I mean, think Disney's already kind of solidified the image of that for all time in a comedy musical form. Um, yeah. And plus, there are other monsters. It's you like, can do. it's the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Like, yeah. It's it's you, got its own class behind like it. Like the modern version would just be like hunch. You know. <laughs> that is the name of the musical in the show The Critic. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, the 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 modern version they, they he wouldn't be in Notre, he would be like in New York and he would be a buddy romantic comedy or something. This is about getting rid of people in Times Square protesting or something. <laughs> Instead of like getting out the gypsy, the gypsy population. Cause that's what that original thing is about. Like the, the oppression of gypsy people in that, 
in that world. Yeah, there's like a <coughs> he he lives in the projects and oh, um they're trying to like gentrification is coming and trying to tear down a church. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. That's an interesting point of view, so Brad. I'm just trying to re- yeah. You I think do- Jason Blum should call you. <laughs> I just re- I rebooted your entire Universal Monster franchise in this podcast. You're welcome. I so, kind of helped. Copyright Ruiners really. podcast. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Give us some money. We'll make. I'll make a good Frankenstein movie for you. Just you watch. It'll be interesting. I'll still have them sing "Putting on the Ritz," but it won't be as silly as Mel Brooks. It'll be a little more. Maybe I'll make it somehow scarier. I don't know. As long as you have that song by Taco in it. That's that's kind of what I want to use is I dude I've been obsessed with that cover of <laughs> putting on the Ritz for the past couple of days <laughs> I've just been listening to it on a loop hmm. like just like just when I'm writing some stuff I'm just like man this is it'd be interesting to see this kind of played out in a horror movie of some kind like or some kind of scary setting like it'd be a great little fun addition to a scene obviously I don't have the rights to Taco's song but um, anyway what are we seeing next week Brad I think we're seeing onward 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 that, or extraordinary. Just, or it's extraordinary, extraordinary. Uh, the new uh, film from Cranked Up and with Will Forte. Yeah, yeah. I'm down to see that. I already have my ticket for Friday for that, but I will see Onward as well if that's what we all choose to see. Uh, whatever the case may yeah. be. I imagine Onward's easier for Ryan to see. Yeah, because they take Helen. And also, uh, uh, extraordinary. Uh, we sh- I should. I would love to mention that it's playing at Sloan's Lake uh, the entire weekend. It's one of their fantastic film, uh, fantastic fest presents series. Uh, they did come to daddy and an um, early presentation tonight. Yeah, I know. And it was sold out, which sucked. Um, yeah. Otherwise I would have gone. Um, but, um, check that out. If we don't do a review on it, like a main review on it, you should check it out at Sloan's Lake. Um, I'd love to do a main review on it cause it looks fun. So. Yeah. It gives me Shaun of the dead vibes. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> I like Will Forte. I, I, I the one thing I regret not picking up from Second and Charles with McGruber. <laughs> he was there for like seven bucks. And I was just I like, saw it. I almost grabbed it. And I'm like, yeah, but I know I can get easy access to that at Amazon. I'm sure it's easy to find. So, Like I have it on DVD. And is it like that visually impressive that it needs to be on Blu-ray? So I was like, I don't really need to buy this twice. But. I think anytime you have a comedian or even a kind of a 90 star putting celery stocks up their ass as a distraction, you need that in HD. I think you do. You're right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then after that, I don't know what's coming out, but we'll find out. We always seem to on this show. Yeah. So thanks for sticking through this episode. I know it was terrible. Yeah. Uh, hopefully Ryan will, at least Ryan will be back next week. Yeah. Ryan will be back next week uh, to correct what went wrong this week. James um, will be back probably by the summer, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> by, the, by the summer. Oh, you're optimistic. <laughs> uh Corinne will probably filter in when there's a British movie we're reviewing. You know, that is, if we do have a dead week, we could check out Emma with her and kind of talk over that. So, yeah. You know, Although we're, we're approaching March, it might be time for a film explosion. <gasps> oh, my God. Because we have four this year. Four this year. Do we want to announce this right here on the show that we're going to be doing th- which years? Uh, I mean, it should be obvious for most, but... Yeah, uh, I mean, if you're a fan, you've figured it out already. 1980, 1990, 2000, and 2010. 2000's going to be some fun. Yeah, oh, five, because eventually by the end of the year, we'll be doing 2020. Holy shit. It's the most film explosioniest year of them all. And there may be an film explosion extra- all over your face. Yeah. And there may be a different type of explosion uh, for Shamley, but it hasn't been confirmed yet. But oh, I, so you're ripping off this podcast now? I, I'm going to call it a hitch explosion. <laughs> wow. Yeah. See, but, the, but does it, he only have 10 movies? 52. <laughs> there would be 53, but one of them is lost. <laughs> Did you steal it? Did Brad, are you the reason the Mountain Eagle is not out there? 
did you destroy the last copy of the Mountain Eagle Hitchcock second film? Of course not. I don't know. When would I have that kind of time? I mean, I don't know. I, you, you, you find a way to somehow go to every trivia night in the world. So <laughs> <laughs> They do them every day but Friday, so yeah. it's not hard to get to one. So how do I know you didn't take an international flight, find a copy of the Mountain Eagle, piss on it, and set it on fire? What about I live with my parents? Do you not understand about my checkbook? <laughs> okay, that's fair. <laughs> All right, I'll have to do a seance with Hitch later tonight and tell him that this lead is going nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Cool. Well, until next week, bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Real Nerds Podcast. Real Nerds Podcast is a production of Neighborless Visions Multimedia. Thank you to Sparks Mandrill and Plan 9 Studios for our kick-ass theme song. Also, if you're in the Denver area and you're looking for a cool place to see movies, we see them at the Alamo Draft House in Littleton and now also in Sloan's Lake. Thank you to Colorado Coins, Cards, and Comics for supplying us with all our comic needs, especially you, Andrew. You know who you are. And a big shout out to James's mom. I'm giving you an electronic hug that you can feel through the airwaves. Thanks for listening and have a nice day.